going to invite um, our guest um, communicator today, our guest speaker, to come on up. This is um, a very handsome, good-looking guy. He is my husband, so I feel like I can say that freely. Uh, this is my husband, Rav Scott, and I said it during the first service. I'm going to say it again just in case you've got any crazy ideas. Uh -huh. uh, we're going to keep a shoulder length here because a couple years ago, he tried to make up for our bad wedding kiss. Uh, when we got married, he, he kissed me like this. I was like, is that all you got? I mean, we just got married. So I guess that was like 18 years ago. So a couple years ago, he tried to make that up, and he gave me a very large kiss in front of the congregation. So I don't want that to happen again. So you're just going to see this is like communicating, right? She didn't, like, she didn't like that either. No, I did, I did not like that. There was a time and a place, and that wasn't the time or the place. So anyway, here is my sweet yeah. husband, Rob Scott. Um, he is a teacher. He's a um, dad. He is um, really involved with Refugee Life Ministries and is here to share his heart for the world. And I truly don't know anyone who does it more on a day-to-day -day basis, living out the, the gospel message than Rob. So um, Chris asked him to come in his absence. So our main pastor, Chris, is at, up at snow camp with the kids. And then our other speaker who normally comes, Brandon, to, to share on Sunday mornings, he's up with the kids. So we invest well with our kids, but we also feel like we're investing well today with our community by having you here. So thanks, Rob. All right. Thank you, honey. Okay. Love it. Here's my second. This was first service. I never touched it. Now we got second service there. I'm sure I won't go towards that, but just in case. Well, good to be with you. Thanks so much for being here. I must be honest with you. I struggled in my preparation for this message, so you can be praying for me. Tuesday night, I said to my son, Noah, son, I'm really struggling with this message. Would you pray for me? You know, God hears the prayers of children, right? But he says to me, Dad, Pastor Chris has got to do that every Sunday. I said, all right, it's a good point. So three, four minutes later, I go upstairs. You can picture the scene. My daughter, Kata, she's in bed reading a book, nightlight on, perfect for prayer. Honey, I really need prayer. I'm concerned about my message on Sunday. And she said to me, well, is there anything that can help with the cough besides just cough drops? So anyway, we've got limited prayer support here today, and we're going to need you praying while I'm speaking. I even made changes this morning. Now, one, oh, and then I just wanted to mention that uh, Pastor Chris has called me to preach on a pretty important day. I mean, it is Super Bowl Sunday, so this is a big, big deal, and I don't want to blow it like some teams did. Right? I mean, I got to talk just a little bit about the Super Bowl and the uh, Minnesota. We won't say it. Okay. All right. I'm done with that. That was for my brothers at Grumpy's that said, say something about the Super Bowl and be funny. And it really wasn't that funny. So appreciate that, Joel, and your leadership. All righty. Uh, now, my son, Noah, one of the things I do speak about here. I usually speak once a year, at least that's been the pattern for the last three years, is about loving your pastor. And my son Noah, his point is a nice segue to this idea of loving your pastor because he said, Dad, Pastor Chris does this every Sunday. We've got Brandon as well now. There's a famous theologian, John Stott, that said something along these lines. One of the most dangerous places in the world is behind a pulpit. So I want to say to you, layperson to layperson, let us be reminded 
from the book of Ephesians where it basically says one of our jobs is to encourage our pastor and to make his job a joy. In the book of 3 John, John went away from his flock and he sent them a letter, a very short letter. And in that letter, it said, nothing brings me more joy than to hear that my children continue to walk in the truth. So you think of Pastor Chris and Brandon who get behind this pulpit on a regular basis. Nothing brings them more joy than to bring the truth and for us to then move outside these walls and walk in that truth. And they want to hear it. They want to hear that. So I encourage you to encourage your pastor via voicemail, a text message, an email, a conversation. Tell them what God is doing in your life and through your life. And let's make sure this pulpit isn't one of the most dangerous places in the world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We want to meditate upon it day and night so that we can be trees planted by streams of living waters whose leaves do not wither, who bear fruit in season, and that whatever we do will prosper. So be with us now. Encourage us in your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I've talked about Kata. I've talked about Noah, and I don't want to leave my son Levi out. He's 16 years old. Three weeks ago, I'm sitting on the couch reading information about this message, and he sits down on the couch as well. And I got a little bit of the preacher in me, and so I looked up from my reading. I said, son, what are you going to do with your life? I mean, are you going to care for those that are dealing with slavery? Yes, right here in the United States of America. Are you going to use your energy, your resources, your talents to make a difference with an orphanage? I mean, what are you going to do with your life? It can get intense around my house rather quickly. <laughs> now, my son, Levi, he's 16 years old, and the guy knows how to deal with me. And by the way, he just sat on the couch to tie his shoes. <laughs> okay? And that's what he got. So I finished the little message. He looks up very calmly, runs his hands through his hair and says, you know, Dad, I think I'll start with a man bun. <laughs> you know, you grow out your hair, you pull it to the back, and you put a bun in there. That's the vision he has for his life. <laughs> and he happens to be here, and if you look at his hair, he's got no shot. But Max, why don't you stand up? If you look at Max here, this guy's got a shot. His mother, who's sitting right next to him, this was not planned. I hope it's okay, Angie. His mother, who's sitting right next to him, has offered him $100 to get his hair cut. And if you want to contribute to that fund, you can see Angie after the service, and let's see if we can get Max's hair cut. <laughs> now, you take Levi's 16-year-old mind, and you take my 46-year-old mind, and what you're going to find is... Both of those minds have issues, and there is tension there. I think as a father, one of the things I don't want to do is bang the Bible over my kid's head. And yet I know from the scriptures that I'm called to communicate it on a regular basis. There's tension there. It's complicated. I have three children. They all have different personalities. They're all at different stages of life. They might have different learning styles. 
And there we are. Tension and complicated, that's just part of the home front. And the same is really true when it comes to the refugee crisis that is happening in Europe, in Syria, and being debated right here in this country. There is tension. Tension between welcome. We see people on rubber boats fleeing horrible situations. And what wells up within us is compassion. And then we have on the other side that it is very complicated. With 18 million people on refugee camps around the world, 40 million internally displaced people that have just fled to another part of their country. This is more than World War II. We live in a challenging time, and challenges are complicated. But we are going to go there today. And before we go there, let me mention a couple of things to you. First, I want to share the definition of a refugee. Then I want to talk a little bit about uh, a ministry that I've been involved with and then talk about the charge that Pastor Chris gave me. So let's first set this up by talking about what is a refugee. So a refugee is a person who has been forced to flee his or her homeland and is unable to return due to persecution on account of race, nationality, religion, political opinion, or social affiliation. About 18 million living on refugee camps around the world. Less than 1% of them make it to a welcoming country. And the ministry that I've been involved with for the past 16 years is under Arrive Ministries. It's called Refugee Life Ministries. And our mission is to empower the church to welcome refugees that are arriving here to meet real needs, foster relationship, and share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We train and equip and support individuals, church teams, and small groups to welcome those families and help them navigate the uh, transition in their life right here in America. And God's doing a mighty work. Over 150 volunteers moving out right here in the Twin Cities, ministering to 141 refugees. More money has come in. More churches are jumping on board. And God is doing a mighty work. So I hope you are encouraged. So that's a little bit of my involvement. Now, here's the charge that Pastor Chris gave me. And this is from the Healthy Missional Church document that we have been going through, 10 markers of a healthy church. And mine is global perspective and engagement. We raise the sights of our members beyond our congregation and community by developing a biblical worldview, and we often pray for and reference global matters. So the global matter we'll deal with today, the refugee crisis. And we will look at it from a biblical worldview because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not tossed back and forth by one wave or wind of teaching after another. We don't go along with what the culture might be saying is right or wrong or this world. We have God's word that has stood the test of time. It is not a shifting shadow, and that's what enlightens us when we respond to situations that are happening in our world. So we're going to look to his word. Now, Bob Org is the executive director of Arrive Ministries, and again, Refugee Life Ministries under that. And as this refugee crisis unfolded, he needed to respond. So he sent out a document to try to enlighten folks about this, and a portion of it focused on God's word. And I want to read a portion of it to you. It said this, the Hebrew word ger translated into English variously as foreigner, sojourner, 
stranger or immigrant, appears 92 times just in the Old Testament, often in the context of God commanding his people to love and welcome those who came as foreigners into their land. Many of the heroes of our Christian faith, David, Elijah, even Jesus himself, had to flee persecution from tyrannical governments seeking to do them harm. The New Testament repeatedly commands us to practice hospitality, which literally means to practice loving strangers, with the hint that by doing so, we may be welcoming angels. Did I read that correctly? Okay, good. Now, the Hebrew word ger, there's a verse that I often quote that has that Hebrew word in it. It comes from Exodus 22:21, and it says this. Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. What God was saying to the Israelite people in Old Testament times was, you know what it was like to be a stranger in a land that wasn't your own where you were mistreated. So if a stranger comes to your land, make sure that you welcome them. And this is true for you and me as well. We were strangers. Maybe not in another land, but we were strangers to God because of our sin. Without hope in a broken world. And God Almighty, when we were strangers, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. We were strangers, and he said, welcome. You were once in darkness, this is from Ephesians, but now you are children of light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases God. Find out what pleases God. Old Testament, 92 times, mostly talking about welcoming the stranger. Then we look into the New Testament from the very mouth of our Savior when he's separating the sheep from the goats on Judgment Day. And he turns to the sheep and he says to them, come into my kingdom because when I was a stranger, you invited me in. This goes to a very core belief that we have in salvation. What salvation says to you and to me, we have been welcomed. Welcome others. So if you're taking notes, there's just a section in there for notes. I would put up at the top there, be welcoming. And then underneath it, I would put salvation. That's the first thing I'd put in there. Now we're going to move to the second thing. There are some people that have said to me, Rob, Shouldn't we be taking care of our own people, brothers and sisters in the Lord that have fled war and persecution? And of course, I would say, absolutely, we should do that. That is biblical. But let me now, for a moment, talk about welcoming people from other religious traditions. As we look at this idea of welcoming people, we're going to go to the core belief of creation. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That means he's created all people. So when you look at a person that is from another religion, what you see is that person bears the very image of God. And you share with them common humanity, flesh and blood. And that understanding draws us to recognize that person. And it is that recognition that then in turn drives us to sympathize with those that are being mistreated. This is core to our belief. That's why Bob Org, in his document, again, the executive director of Arrive Ministries, he said this, we believe that each person is made in the image of God. 
we seek to serve and welcome all those fleeing persecution, regardless of their religious or cultural background. We're welcoming people. Salvation, creation, and now we're going to keep the shuns going with direct instruction. Direct instruction is the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So let's think about that for a moment, neighbor meaning everyone. The only thing that separates you from possibly being on a rubber boat, fleeing at times treacherous waters, is where you were born. You wouldn't be sitting there. You could have been in a boat. So I want you to take a moment to imagine that you were born in Syria. And there's your family. The bombs are coming down. Gunfire is getting closer to your house. And if you're a parent, I want you to see your child's face with fear on it. It's good to do this. So imagine that fear. You decide, I'm going to flee now to another part of Syria. You're an eternally displaced person. There you stay for a couple of years. Of course, it's really difficult. You had to leave your life already to another part of the country. And the bombs start to get closer after a couple of years again. The gunfire gets closer. Your children are more hungry. You see what war and fear can do to the very emotions of your child. And you are so desperate that you decide to spend what little money you have left to buy a spot on an overcrowded rubber boat to go across treacherous waters to get to a land where some countries have built up fences and they won't even allow you to walk through. Think about how desperate you would have to be. And then think about the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I asked my son Noah, sharing a little bit of that story with him, what would you do? And he said, of course I would help. Welcoming others. Salvation points us there. Creation points us there. Direct instruction points us there. And finally, commission points us there. The Great Commission. Matthew 28, before Jesus left this earth, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. A guy by the name of Mike Nieder runs a ministry under Arrive Ministries called SALT. In short, what they do is they connect folks from the church with the Somali community through tutoring. He's dedicated his life to proclaiming the gospel to Muslims. So I call him up, leave him a voicemail, say, I'm talking to my church. What would you say to them about reaching out to Muslims? He sends me a text message. This kind of made my day. Maybe I'm a little bit of a geek, but he sends me a text message. Greetings from the island of Malta and St. Paul Bay. This is where Paul was shipwrecked. That's where he was. He sends me a text message, and it was a long one, and I want to read to you what he said to me. I'm here with a group of leaders that are trained in the planning on how to finish our great commission in this region among those hard places. Okay, here's the deal. We know how the story ends. We know there will be former Muslims from every tribe, language, and people group. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. 
He said this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. But we have not obeyed him to go to the Muslim nations. The ratio of missionaries to Muslims has been only one in a million. So our good, gracious, generous God, who is not willing that any should perish, perish, is bringing a tiny percentage of them, about 1%, to be refugees in Minnesota and the West. He's finally giving them a chance to hear the gospel, and he's giving us a second chance to obey. He's giving them dreams and visions. I can tell you by personal experience, often Muslims come to faith through visions. There are future pastors, evangelists, prophetic poets, spoken word artists, worship leaders, storyteller worship leaders, teachers that are out there in the mosque and the Somali malls. They're just waiting for us to discover them and to teach them how to obey everything Jesus has commanded. So if we are not willing to cross the ocean, are we willing to cross the street? How many of our Somali neighbors chose to be born Muslim? How many of them until now have had any other viable option? 294 unreached people groups represented right here in the United States. The nations have come to our doorstep. God is doing it. And we, as people of his church, do not want to miss that opportunity. And we're not in many ways. I mean, beautiful things are happening, and we are caring for our Christian brothers and sisters that have fled war or persecution. Last year, there were more refugees admitted to the United States that were Christian than any other single religious tradition, 45%. 60% of the refugees coming through Arrive Ministries this past year were Christians. About a generation ago, we resettled the Hmong. So if we look just at Minnesota, what our brothers and sisters who have fled war or persecution are doing, they're adding to the fabric of our, our faith. So if we look at the Hmong community, right here in the Twin Cities, we have Hmong Alliance Church, largest church in the nation, over 3,500 members. 10, 15 years ago, we resettled Liberians. They are building a $2.4 million church, and now we're resettling the Karen. They have a church right now that is bursting at the seams. They're looking for another facility, and the pastor there said, persecution has made us strong. We want to lock arms with our brothers and sisters from other nations and together be a part of the Great Commission. So, brothers and sisters, you were welcomed by God through the death of his son on the cross. That's salvation. Welcome others. You were created by God. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Welcome others. That's creation. You were commanded by God to love your neighbor as yourself. Welcome others. That's direct instruction through the great, the great commandment that God has given us. And then finally, you were given the great commission to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Welcome others. Salvation, creation, direct instruction, commission, core biblical beliefs, and they all say welcome. Now, I don't begin to suggest to you that all we do is look at welcome. As I mentioned, this is a complex situation, and there's safety as well. 
So we look at the, the welcome and people fleeing, and then we look at Paris attacks, and we get a little fearful. And we should look at safety. And so what I want to do is take a moment to look at this. And Pastor Chris, as I was sharing with him a little bit about this, he said, Rob, I think it's really important that you make sure that people understand you're focusing on refugees. So I'm not talking about uh, illegal immigration. That's a complex situation that we could discuss. We're not going to today. There are other ways that people come to America. That's another issue we can discuss. We won't today. We're going to look just at refugees, and I want to look at some stats because I want to suggest to you that this isn't an either-or. We can have welcome, and we can have safety. Take a look at a few of these stats. First one, refugees live on refugee camps on average for 18 years until they find a durable solution. That's a long time. Less than 1% of the refugees living on refugee camps make it to a welcoming country, America being one of those countries. That's not very many of them. Number three, refugees go through a multi-layered screening process that takes, on average, 18 months. This is more thorough than any other category of immigrant or visitor to the United States. That's a serious vetting process. And then the fourth one. 47% of refugees in the pipeline of possible welcome to another country are rejected. So if you think about this, 2% of the refugees living in refugee camps around the world, they make it into the pipeline of possible involvement, but half of them are rejected. Now, it might be because they're lying. There's probably a little bit of that. But mostly it's because war is crazy. And you have to piece together your story in a way that makes a country feel comfortable to welcome you. In addition to that, many are rejected because they can't prove their identity. So now let's think about a terrorist for a moment. They say, I want to get to America. I'm going to pose as a refugee, live on a refugee camp for 18 years, and then with that 18 years, knowing that I have a 1% chance of actually making it. And even if I get into the pipeline of possible involvement, they're going to look at my life very carefully. What terrorist is going to do that? It's very, very unlikely. That's why if you look at this last stat, in 1975, the current refugee resettlement program was launched by the United States Department. The reason I use that date is because this is what is being used to this day when people come to America. So we've got about 40 years here. And since that time, 3 million refugees have been welcomed to America, and not one has perpetrated a terrorist attack. Not one. Now, I'm not going to stand before you and suggest that we have 100% safety. We don't have 100% safety. And you bought a home probably, and you don't have 100% safety there either because you got fire hazards. You drove in a car today, and we know that's not 100% safe. In a broken world, 100% safety is an illusion. And we have a God that does not call us to walk through life safely. He calls us to pick up our cross daily and to boldly and courageously step out for him. It says in the Bible constantly, do not be afraid. Let us not live in fear. Let us live in love, which is one of the greatest antidotes against the evil in this world.
And our God tells us to have an eternal perspective. Now, Mike Nieder from SALT sent me an email as well. And as we think about this eternal perspective, listen to the email that he sent me. This conference has been blowing my mind. He was at that conference in Malta, over 600 people there. It's blowing my mind with the challenges, but also the incredible, amazing things God is doing. One example, the minister of religion in Kurdistan asked for 200 Bibles so he could give one to each of the 200 imams in his area. This weekend, as I understand, one of the largest mosques in Paris was showing the Jesus film at the imam's request. I was here with over 600 leaders, all working in one way or another in the Middle East and or North Africa. The Arab and other Muslim background leaders said repeatedly, this is a golden time for the gospel. So many Muslims, especially refugees, are disillusioned by ISIS. They are hungry for the love of Jesus. This, shot, this thought was shared today. Am I afraid to die? Or am I confident knowing that my eternity is secure? Who do I love more, my Muslim neighbor or myself? Should I preserve my comfort and safety knowing he will perish without Christ? Or will I take a risk to love him and welcome him in the name of Christ? It's easy to talk about that eternal perspective. It's not so easy to live it. Now, finally, I realize that this feels massive. I mean, you think about it, 18 million refugees, 40 million live in, uh, internally displaced, and we think, I am one person. And this is just one issue. And so I want to take a little bit of time talking to you about being reasonable, that we are limited people as individuals, we're limited as a church, and we're limited as a country. A guy by the name of Larry Ward was driving down of all places, the Hollywood Strip, 1970s, pulls over to the side of the road, puts his arms on the steering wheel, lays his head on his arms, and begins to cry, thinking about how many people are dying every day because of complications of poverty. And while he was crying, God gave him a word. He said, they die one at a time. You can help them one at a time. What God was saying to him is, be reasonable. And we see this in Scripture. I mean, if you look at the words of Jesus, he says on one hand, pick up your cross and follow me. And then we see on the other end of the spectrum, my burden is light. So let me talk to you as individuals. For some of you in here, maybe the word for you today is pick up the cross. I mean, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And God may be saying to you, I want you to start making more sacrifices for me. I want you to step out with your money, with your time, with who you are as a person, and I want you to make sacrifices for me. Trust me, you won't be disappointed if that's what he's telling you. Now, on the other side, you've got my burden is light, and some of you may need to hear this word because you're feeling heavy, and if you're feeling heavy for long periods of time, you might need to stop stepping out and start stepping back. Just because it's the right thing to do doesn't mean that you do it. If you're running around on your own energy, 
trying to take care of all sorts of things and serve in all sorts of ways. It's spiritual arrogance and sinful. Now, if we look at the middle, some of you might be in that place where you say, I think right now I've got a great balance. Well, first thank God. And then be humble and realize, oh, how quickly you and I, being sinful people, can get off kilter. A guy by the name of Gary Haugen wrote a book called Terrify No More. And he talks about how you and I cannot succumb to the enormity of these, the problems of this world and be rendered crippled and ineffective. There are people that might say to folks that have been involved with Refugee Life Ministries right here in Minnesota that I've already mentioned, I hear you've helped 500 people over 16 years. That has been the case. 500 people. There are 19, 18 million refugees living on refugee camps around the world, 40 million internally displaced people, and you've helped 500? What's the point? Well, I think the first family that was helped through this ministry, the Harris family, I think they get the point. So do the Nakanechines. So does the Addy family, the Liasco family, the Robertson family, the Cortez family, the Phillips family, the Achara family, the Maloko family. And then you can just keep going until you reach 500. And you can actually keep going when you look at a family that was welcomed by a small group in December by this church, a small group of people, the Lairtu family. The Lairtu family, they get the point because they are the point. And we're the point too. You see, when you don't turn away from your own flesh and blood, there's a promise in God's word. Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. God will heal you. You see, we're desperate for refugees. They need us and we need them. So finally, as we look at ourselves individually, as we look at ourselves as a church and if we look at ourselves as a nation, we are limited. We are finite. As we look at ourselves as a nation, I want to say to you, I don't really get involved in terms of what that's going to look like politically and there's a political discussion going on. What I do is I pray for our leaders. And what I care about are the ones that do come here, the refugees that do come here, I want them to be met by the church. So brothers and sisters, do not be driven by needs and tasks because in this broken world, the needs are always too great and the tasks too, been, too many. Be driven by the very calling of God. Pray for that for yourself. Pray for that for our church. Pray for that for our nation. And remember, you have been saved. You have been created. You have been commanded and you have been commissioned, be welcoming. You are finite, and you are limited. And that is not sinful. But remember, as a finite person, you have an infinite God that wants to do through you immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. So keep stepping out. Keep looking for ways to serve. And God, be a part of the great work that God does. It is a blast.